Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you will be blessed through it. Um, I've um, put the title on, on this morning, Sim, as, as Jesus, a, a constant in a changing world. And I don't know about you, but I just find the world is changing so rapidly. That is so much that it's an age thing. I don't know, it just is running away. Everything seems to be getting faster and busier and more focused on this and focused on that and less focused on God. And it's worrying. Uh, I was talking to somebody that we met completely at random down at Seton Sands uh, yesterday morning. I don't think he had any church connection, but he started saying, you know, where's the world going? What's happening? You know, how are we meant to sort all this out? What are we meant to do? What answer was I able to give him? Not a lot, because I was trying to stop the grandchildren falling in a pond to get toads spawn, but that's, you know, I just pray, at least he'd ask the questions. So when we're asking the questions, how can this passage maybe help us? Those of you who know me, I need to have some sort of practical outcome. I love people who give me these intellectual debates and all the academic stuff. It's fantastic, but I need that something. So let's see where we go in this passage. We've been working our way through Hebrews. It has taken quite a while. I don't know when we started it, but Ian will remind me because he knows about these things. Can you remember when we started? 2014. Was it that recent? <laughs> Feels about like you know, way back further than that. But anyway, we've reached th- chapter 13. Yes. Concluding exhortations. Now, being a bit on the dyslexic, when I read it, I read it as um, something else. I thought we were being extorted. Something was being dragged from us. Maybe it is. Maybe it is an encouragement to do. Maybe it's something that we're being dragged into. But I thought, I can't remember when we started. And to be honest, can I remember all that we've talked about? No, because the brain's too full to remember details. So I just thought I'd have a very quick look. We've looked in Hebrews, the writer, whoever it is, writing to whoever it is, gives us this wonderful book that looks at the character of the Son, that stresses Christ's pre-existence. And... Fully God, but fully human. Superior to even the angels that worship at the throne of God. A high priest from the order of Melchizedek. Please don't remember that one. <laughs> don't know what it was all about, but you know, it was important. The high priest, the ones who went in on behalf of the people into the presence of God. That Jesus took on that role. He took on the work. He became the sacrifice. He became the new covenant sealed by his blood that we celebrate when we share communion together. Wow. Jesus, the redeemer. Jesus, the savior of the world. Jesus. All about Jesus. And then we were presented with some challenges What is our present position? Are we living the way we should? What does that mean? We need to persevere. We need to think about past experience and do something with it. 
We need to have faith. And we were given wonderful passages and wonderful interpretations and explanations about the nature of faith. And the thing that always has impressed me about the book of Hebrews, this list of examples from the past, big names that we know, who made a mess of it a lot of the time, but their faith continued. And we were told that we need to have discipline. We need to avoid inconsistency. And the benefits that come for the whole of eternity from this new covenant through Christ. And then we progress to the verses that we've got today, the concluding exhortations. I want to very briefly work through what it says because I think it's important. I'm not going to dwell on, many of, on them for any length of time. I leave that to you as your conscience, as your spirit is stirred to what you should be looking at. But they impact on three areas, the social life, private life, and religious life. So what have we got? Verse one, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. How many of you got brothers and sisters? Do you really love them all the time? It's difficult, but we've got to love them. But this is brotherly love. This is a mutual regard for each other, regardless of difference. This is loving, respecting, not always liking, necessarily, but always loving, despite what might come between us, despite race, despite age, gender, all the issues that can upset us, slightly different denominations, different theology. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all heirs to the kingdom. We have to love, even though we might want to debate and discuss. And interestingly, we're called to keep on, we're to continue. So something that we should be doing. Otherwise, it would have been start loving, but it's continue. This should be the way we look. This should be how we work as the family of faith. And say, and all are our brothers and sisters, no matter their country of origin, their age, their gender, their status in society, style of worship, Whatever other issues we find to not particularly like, we're called to love. And I don't think this challenge is anything new, but it is a challenge, I feel, to us as a church of Scotland, in our particular context, when we're having to think about how do we work with other congregations round about us? How do we love each other enough to follow some of the presbytery plan? Just a challenge. Then we go on to... Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing. We like hospitality. I'm so sad that when we had cake after the service, it was a week I wasn't here. That opportunity to just share something, to spend a wee bit of time, having a natter, not all the busyness and bustle of the day. In the early church, hospitality was far more important particularly to strangers and travelers, because the options, from, other than staying with fellow believers, just you didn't want to think about them. In the Middle East, extending hospitality is an expected approach, a way of developing friendship. And much closer to home hasn't one of the big issues of the past two years been not being able to visit, not being able to sit down for a meal with friends, not 
being able to ask someone in for a quick cuppa. But the words used in the passage imply more than merely entertaining friends, whether Christians or not. One commentator that I read described what was required as a Christian social service. The readiness with which early Christians were prepared to do this became a source of amazement, if not scorn, to non-Christian observers. Do we stand out amongst the crowd in the way we offer hospitality? We don't have a monopoly on this, I would stress. There are many, many other groups, different faiths and none, who offer this social service of caring, of supporting, of offering hospitality. But when we look back, and we look around today as well, the Christian church from whichever denomination is so often found at the heart of food banks, care vans, community cafes, hostel for the homeless, the countless other ways that they're offering loving, non-judgmental hospitality to all who are in need, whatever their background, whatever their position. And for all who are involved in these activities, I'm sure they are aware, as we are at Food Bank, of just reaping such benefits from meeting these wonderful people. When we're serving, when we're doing willingly what God wants, the blessings that come on us, and just as Abraham did when he entertained angels unaware. Because as Jesus reminded us, what we give to the least of these, we are giving to him. We're not serving, we're not offering hospitality, so look at me, aren't I good? Look at us, aren't we brilliant? But we're doing it as if to Jesus. And verse three, it's a continue again. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were there with them, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. From the, the background reading that I did, it um, was thought that this referred to Christians who were in prison, persecuted for their faith during the years of the early church. Remember them, don't let it be out of sight, out of mind. And how often we can slip into that habit now. But the exhortation is not just bring them to mind, but identify with them. Speak up for them when they can't do it themselves. Care for them when they have no other means. Let them know they are not forgotten. And remember as well, we have people who are persecuted for their faith, but we've also got people who are imprisoned by their circumstances that are out of their control. People imprisoned by illness, addiction, mental health issues. The list goes on, and I'm sure you can add to it from people that you know, people that you care for, and for most of us, people within our families who feel isolated, lonely, and feel they don't have a voice. The church should be continuing to get beside and speak out for those unable to speak out for themselves. And we need to be aware don't be out of sight, out of mind, because this could happen to any of us. Would we want to be forgotten? So let's practice remembering. Elsewhere in Hebrews, we're, we're, thought, we're reminded of the need to be consistent. So apart from the social life, our private life has to match up to the same sorts of standards. We can't do one thing out there and live differently at home because that just makes a mockery 
of what we do. So, verse 4. Marriage should be honoured by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I'm not going to speak about the rights and wrongs of different sorts of marriages. Different topic altogether. But when we look at modern society, or is it just modern society? My, I was brought up in the, the swinging 60s. My granny, who by then was a, a very wise old lady in her 80s, says, you know, the only difference between your lot and ours is that you talk about it. It went on in our era. We just didn't talk about it. Nothing had changed. But what has changed dramatically, I feel, is the challenge to the institution of marriage from one man and one woman for life now has tended at the other extreme, anyone and anyone, for as long as you feel you like it, or why bother at all, just come and go as you want. And this is nothing new, because apparently in the New Testament times, the Jews and the pagans had a wide range of views, approaches and opinions on the subject of marriage. But say, that's maybe a conversation for another day. But as Christians, we're called to maintain certain standards and behavior. Marriage is to be honored, held in respect, committed to, and worked at. That's what the verse tells us. Adultery is wrong. Immorality and unfaithfulness will be judged because they're sins that need to be confessed and repented of. And maybe if the writer was putting it now, there might be a comment something like, and private life should be private, not played out on social media, used as a point scoring mechanism or self-publicity. We see the outcome of failing to follow this across society because there is never blame-free, pain-free, victimless, impactless breakdown of a marriage or as a result of making promiscuous lifestyle choices. And that's for Christians and non-Christians alike. So moving on, verse 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Again, a problem which was evident in the Old Testament, the early church and today. This menace of materialism, the love of money. Not money, but the love of money and a lack of contentment. I don't think this verse is saying it's wrong to try to better yourself or that the econ economic status quo should just be maintained. I don't see it's a Christian attitude to condemn some to poverty just because that's where they were born and others to countless wealth just because. The writer is saying that what is needed is more than a passive acceptance, but a positive recognition that what is important is having God with us not the trappings of life, not the positions in society. God with us every step of the way. We sing, there's a song we sing about every step, moving onwards with the kids, I think, at one time. God never leaving us. And most important, God never giving up on us. All the help we need in this life and eternity is given in Jesus. And we need to live as if we truly believe that. Can we honestly say, I am content in where I am? I'm content with what I have. I'm not content when I see other people being abused and treated in equal, in, with inequity and injustice. 
The Lord is my helper. I can be content. And then the writer moves on to challenge and address religious life. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Again, this isn't something that the readers are encouraged to start doing. The, keep on remembering is the, the, the f- tense of the verb, in, according to the commentaries. I don't know. I trust you, people. Yeah. Keep on remembering. It's an active approach. It's something we should be doing and we should do now and we should continue to do. Keep on remembering the example and teaching of the founders of the church and observe the impact of their, their faith had on their manner of living, their lifestyle and their behavior, as well as the word, not just words, but how they did it. Not so that we can just mechanically copy, oh, I liked that person, I'll live like them but so that our faith can be as alive as theirs was. And this takes us back to where we were a number of weeks ago. And the the challenge I thought set at the end of a, a, a sermon, who are our heroes of faith? Who was an example of Christian witness? Who spoke God's word to you? What was it about them? Have you tried to imitate these characteristics? Have you grown in your faith because of that? But a more challenging question is, what do people see in our lives? What do they see about how we live out our faith? How we stand up for our beliefs that would attract them to Christ in our social life, our private life, and our religious life? A big challenge. I was thinking about these things, and they're all continue, keep on. I'm thinking, yeah, right the way through, we've got this. And I got a wee bit, we're still doing this, we've still got to keep doing it, we're never getting it right. And the words came back, and I had to look up the chapter and verse, but from Ecclesiastes chapter one. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Nothing new. What was written in there as a challenge is still a challenge. And if we look back over the history books, we can hardly disagree with this sentiment. Things go around. The issues of living in love with one another, welcoming strangers and outcasts, caring for the mistreated and rejected in society are nothing new. I remember my my granny and granddad speaking about that, but they would have heard it from their grandparents and so on. I don't think anything has changed. There's nothing new in the problems and hurt that emerge from immorality, breakdown of family life, desire for more and more material goods, not loving, not caring. Society seems actually to be becoming less and less content, and we're more and more afraid of failing and being left to face life alone. But when we look back through the history books, what does stand out time and time again are the actions of Christians to fight injustice, inequality, and isolation. They've been doing it since the early church. They were doing it in the Old Testament. 
But why is it having such little effect so often? Do we just accept the state of the world and the church and say, well, that's just where we are in life, the pendulum swings? Do we just say, oh, there's nothing new under the sun as a depressive thought, that there is no way out of this cycle? Or do we look at the, what the author of Hebrews gives us in verse 8, that there is nothing new and that is good because... Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and together and forever. Jesus Christ is bringing nothing new. He's bringing what he's always bought. He is who he has always been before the creation of the earth. And I just went back to the beginning verses of Hebrews that open up by saying this wonderful statement, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And then, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Yesterday, today, forever. That same Jesus who makes our salvation possible. I mean, in Ephesians we hear, it is by grace you have been saved, through faith and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So do we look at this, there's nothing new under the sun, because there doesn't need to be, because Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do we as people of faith say, don't be afraid because God never leaves us. God is our helper, so therefore mere mortals can do nothing for it to us. Do we live as if we believed, that we believe we're promised that being content with what God has provided and trusting in his continued presence is good, is where we are, is what we really believe, never leaving or forsaking us? I know it seems difficult that God's promised there are good works planned for us to do. But that seems increasingly difficult in the current context of increasing secularization of society. Huge economic inequity and the seemingly corrupt, greedy and godless society. How can our lives stand out to future generations that they'll look at us and our example of faith to say, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's a challenge. There's nothing new under the sun. But how do we make our nothing new worth people in future generations, our children, our grandchildren, their grandchildren, look back and reflect? And I was praying about what to, how to, to bring this to an end during the week. And um, at the prayer meeting on Wednesday, I got a very clear answer. I'll just read you a few of the verses that were shared at that from Joel. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times or will ever be in ages to come. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. 
blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a, a holy fast, call a sacred assembly. It's getting pretty black. Let's face it, it seems that the church is being overwhelmed. It would seem that Christ's kingdom isn't getting very far. But we need to blow the trumpet. We need to declare the day of the Lord. We need to return to God with all our hearts. We do, not just everybody else. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to say, the church isn't doing this. They're not doing that. The church is made up of you and me and everyone who's put their trust in Jesus Christ. We have to do that. We have to blow the trumpet. We have to declare the fast and call a sacred assembly. Jesus was the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just as it was in the past and it will be in the future, it's up to the church in all places and forms, congregations serving their communities, and each and every individual Christian to speak out, to stand up and be counted and be an example of faith to the world. We've got to live as if we believe it. And then I was reminded of another instance in the Bible when trumpets were blown. And by pure coincidence, it's the story Naomi is now doing with the children. I did not know that until Friday. And interestingly, my grandchildren, can you tell us some stories about the Bible? And they, Oren was speaking about his friend Joshua. And I said, oh, Joshua's in the Bible. And we told the story. And they've asked me to tell it them about four times over the weekend because they just think it's amazing. Remember, impenetrable fortress, there was no hope. God led his people to victory. And when the trumpet sounded, the walls came tumbling down. These exhortations and implications for action weren't just for the Old Testament. They weren't just for the Hebrews or the other early church groups. And they're not for our recent examples of our heroes of the faith. They are for always and forever, in whatever circumstances we find ourselves, individually and collectively. Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the promise of Christ's resurrection is that we are his people yesterday, today, and forever. Will we take up that challenge? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, although the world may seem as if it's going round and round in circles, although it seems that things are getting blacker and blacker, there's nothing new under the sun. The church has always had to stand up because it's what you call us to do. You call us to love. You call us to show hospitality. You call us to get alongside people. You call us to live our lives in a, an appropriate manner. You call us to have faith, to witness to you, to declare the truth of your word, and to do the works that you've laid out before us. And Lord, it's not easy. We do find it a struggle. But as you've laid down that challenge, will we live for you yesterday, today, and forever? 
as we answer in our hearts, Lord. Give us that strength. Give us the faith. Give us the hope. Fill us again with your Holy Spirit that we can stand tall and proud and blow the trumpets to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus reigns forever and ever. As we approach this Easter time when we remember how the world's turned against you on that blackest of black days and you shone through, you rose Jesus Christ, victorious over death, that you will fill us with that hope, fill us with that joy, fill us with that love, that it wells up and bubbles over and spreads to all that we meet. And in all of it, we give the glory to you, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. To whom be praise forevermore. Amen.